So how do I live my life for Christ, and, and why is it sometimes so hard to be a Christian? Um, and I think that we need to start with the second part of that question first. Let's start with the second one first. Why is it sometimes so hard or so difficult or so challenging, you can fill in the blank there, um, to, to be a Christian? What other way? Why? Because what? Oh, because we live in the world. Okay. It's, it's our nature. Okay. So we have this sinful nature then that is um, that that denotes that it's natural. Okay. Why? Why is our sinful nature? Why do we have that nature? Why is that natural? Because of Adam. Because what? Adam. Okay. Elaborate more. Because of the fall. Okay. So there was a fall. And so now this fall happened, uh, and then what? How, did that re- how does that relate to us as we're sitting here today in this place at this time? They were disobedient. They were disobedient, and that relates to us how? We were all descendants of Adam, and so we inherited all that he had. It's an inheritance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So God's word. Should we stand up and move the world back in okay. the <laughs> So does everybody share in that inheritance then? Yep. Okay. Believers? And non believers. Non believers? Okay, that would be everybody. So the. the Everybody is everybody. Okay. All right. So, so everybody then shares in this inheritance, and we know that how. Because it is written. Okay. So the Bible clearly tells us that it wasn't designed that way. And then uh, through this discussion that we can have someday on free will, um, Adam and Eve ran across this opportunity, right? And they were tempted, and they succumbed to the temptation together. They did this. And, and subsequent to that, uh, then God uh, put, a, put a plan in place, didn't he? And, and we've been even hearing uh, on Sunday mornings about that, about that plan and about how a lot of people think that God put this plan and he is this, he is this uh, cosmic killjoy, as we've heard said before, you know, and, he, and he's just, he's vengeful and, he's, and he's, he's enraged and he's angry and he's going to punish everybody. And yet the Bible tells us something entirely different tells us something entirely different about about his nature. Now, we've been studying God's nature for the last couple of months in terms of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And we were learning in those... How many fruit of the Spirit are there? There's one. And so in in all nine of those one fruit of the Spirit, we have, we have these these uh, characteristics of God, don't we? And, the, and, and we could also then say that those characteristics that we have seen in the fruit of the Spirit have been God's nature. It is His nature. All of these good things that we see that are an outcome of pursuing God and living for Christ, if you will, are the things that are a gift that naturally then come to us out of this other nature that we have. So now we're, now we're confronted and we're going to look at what Scripture says about how to deal with why sometimes it's difficult because if God's nature is all of these wonderful things, peace, love, joy, peace, 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 
Peace. Patience. There you go. There you go. So we have all these fruit of the Spirit, and those are God's nature, and we are supposed to be Christians, which means little Christ, or Christ-like, which means that we should then, as fruit, as we bear fruit in our life, those things manifest out of a, a relationship, a deeper relationship in our walk with the Lord and each other. Right? So then how can we have... God's nature manifests in our life in this fruit because if we're maturing as Christians we're bearing this fruit, aren't we? And if we're not maturing as Christians, we're not bearing this fruit, are we? That's a challenging thing because we've looked in weeks past about this is frankly quite measurable (coughs) and we ought to be looking at in the mirror, uh, shouldn't we? To determine uh, whether or not we're bearing fruit. And um, if we're bearing fruit, and that is God's nature, how do we reconcile the fact that we have this what, what, this, this other nature? It's natural. What, what, kind of, what nature did you call it? Sin. sin nature. Okay, so we have a sin nature, and yet we're called to have the characteristics of God. In fact, we've learned that the Bible teaches clearly that these characteristics will manifest themselves in our lives as fruit as we pursue God on a deeper level. That's really incompatible, isn't it? It seems so. Doesn't it seem? But it isn't. Because God's nature is in us in the Holy Spirit and so that the Holy Spirit will lead us if we follow. So we've learned that the Holy Spirit will lead us and so by by its very nature that comment that you just made suggests that if the Holy Spirit leads us then we are kind of like sheep, aren't we? And the Holy Spirit is kind of like the shepherd, isn't he? And that we should be, indeed, we should be in step with him, according to Galatians 5.23. Alright, now, what do we do with these two distinct natures? God's nature and his characteristics and the qualities of that, those, uh, those character qualities of God and our nature, which which we've learned is what? Sin. And what else is it? What other adjectives could we use? Selfish. 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 Rebellious. Rebellious. Worldly. Worldly. I haven't heard a... There wasn't a positive... None of those were positive, were they? No. It's really interesting to me because... They're positively awful. They're positively awful. <laughs> so here we are. And, and this is challenging, I think, for us in a lot of ways because we, we sit here and we want to consider ourselves to be pretty good people, don't we? But, but we've just said that the Bible has said, and we're going to read what it says because it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the Bible says. And we're going to see that, that these natures exist. We have a sin nature. We're all sitting in this room with a sin-fallen nature. And yet we've been reading and we believe because God's word tells us 
that we should be manifesting fruit of the Spirit, which are all of the good character qualities of God. What's going on there? I like your thinking, though. No, I like your thinking. Uh, your first thought, fight? Follow, follow that? It's just a battle. A battle, a conflict, a fight. Okay? Ha- wrap, wrap some more around that. It's a, con- it's a spiritual battle, conflict, and fight. Hmm. Spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. And does that happen in you, Doris? Yes. Hmm. Well, we have access to supernatural power if we want to. Wow. Turn to Romans 7. 7 7. It's really interesting. Cindy, that you brought up Facebook. Uh, I'm not a Facebook person. I don't know how that works. But Kurt Brennan, who answered a question, or or anyway, I just read what the little note, which was cool because I uh, I was thinking um, this week as I was studying and reading Romans that when um, uh, when I went to OVCC originally. Uh, almost 19 years ago, and Kurt Brennan was the pastor, and I showed up there. I didn't know anything or, or virtually anyone, and I remember meeting him, and I remember that there was excitement because he was just finishing a series on Romans. That <laughs> <laughs> three years. Yeah, two years. Yeah, was it two years? I thought, I thought it was three years. And I can still remember that because as a brand new person coming to church for really the first time, uh, wanting to go to church, and I, I was thinking, how could that be? <laughs> how could that be? And, um, uh, and of course... <laughs> but 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 now I realize as we look at Romans um, chapter both chapter seven and chapter eight, and I can start this process and learn, um, you know, really learn the fundamentals of, of this conflict that you have, this spiritual battle that is going on, and, and how do we deal with that, and why is it so difficult? And you know, we we already know the answer to this question, but I think it's really important to understand fundamentally how this works because we can we can be available to help so many people that don't understand. There are so many people that are conflicted. So many people that are conflicted. When God's Word makes it actually quite clear in and through all of God's Word that it actually is a little bit complicated. Does that make sense? Not really, huh? (laughs) Because Romans is a challenge. So Kurt Brennan spent a couple of years in Romans and uh, and I read this week about a man that has been studying the book of Romans his entire life. His entire life he has devoted to the book of Romans. And uh, that just gives you an idea, uh, and that's not for everybody. Certainly I couldn't do that. I would, my head would probably explode. I'd go crazy. Uh, I'm not built that way. But it just gives you an idea of the depth of what God has uh, prepared for us and he gives us these answers to, to these questions in some cases um, uh, quite clearly so Romans verse 7 or uh, chapter 7 verse 7 through 25 uh, is going to talk about this clear spiritual battle 
So thanks for bringing that that up because Steve, it's a it's a battle, and we all know that it's a battle, and we talk about the battle. But I think oftentimes we don't realize that the battle, uh, this particular battle we're talking about, where is that raging? Okay, but specifically specifically we're we're talking about why is it so difficult to 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 be a Christian sometimes as the second half of this of this question. That, that battle, that particular battle, is raging. Yes, it's, it's in us. There's a spiritual battle that is going on in us, and and there are things that we need to, to know, and there are things we need to do about that. So let's start with Romans seven, seven seven. And if you don't mind, the the first few scriptures, the Roman scriptures, I'm going to read because I want to I want to guide us through what God's word says about this about this struggle and this battle and what to do about it. Seven seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So what what is Paul saying there in that in that verse? Amen. Anybody remember before they were saved how they lived? I would suggest to you that before you're saved, before that justification took place once and for all, that even if we knew and had heard of the Ten Commandments, I think most of us had, they didn't mean anything. Didn't care about it either. As a, as a non-believer, you were thinking probably about, I've heard people that are non-believers that talk about, well, that, that stuff is just, that, that's good. Those are good morals. And, you know, it's, it's okay. Of course, we don't want to kill anybody. That's a good one not to do. Okay? But then you've got to get, but that whole covenant thing, I, I don't know. I kind of like stuff. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with if it feels good to do it. As long as I'm not hurting anybody. As long as I'm not hurting anybody. And so Paul says here that, wait a minute, I didn't even know. Before I understood the law, I didn't even know what sin was. So what did God do when he provided the law? That was the purpose. That was the purpose. As crazy as it is to read the Old Testament today and go through the process of how God had to reveal the law to the Israelites and in the minutia, in the detail, to remind them of their sinfulness. And yet, how did most of them respond? They were still stiff-necked, weren't they? Even after understanding it. Sometimes I feel like I'm one of those guys. Sometimes I feel like I'm stiff-necked and I'm and I don't understand. And I and yet I like we're going to read what Paul says uh, in in Romans. Why in the world do I do what I don't want to do and then I don't do what I ought to do? Yeah. Talk about conflict. That's a very popular verse, isn't it? Because it's so real. We all can so relate to that after we've sinned. So, he says, For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, 
produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Hmm. Paul is working through this struggle and he's trying to, he's trying to, to come to terms uh, in his own words, inspired by the Spirit, meaningful to us as we sit here today. He's dealing with this battle that's raging. And, and, and Paul, at this, at this point in Romans, uh, uh, who is Paul at this point in Romans, at this point in history? Is he Saul or is he Paul? Oh. And so, and so uh, what kind of a... So who is Paul at this, at this particular point as he's struggling with sin? He's, uh, he's an apostle. He's an apostle. He's a new Christian. He's a new Christian. Relatively. Anything else? He's a missionary. He's a missionary. He's a human with the He's a what? Still a sinner. He's still a sinner. Yeah. All right. The same struggle as everybody else. Okay. Let's not forget that Paul is speaking to us here. Um, uh, you know, Paul penned this through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet he was dealing with sin because he was struggling with the kind of person that he was. Don't, don't, let's not lose that, okay? Because we're all struggling with the kind of person we were. Because I would submit to you that nobody in this room is the person they were. <laughs> exactly right. Thank God for that. Because the Bible tells us that we're not. Because when we're born again, what are we? We're a new creature. Okay, so now all of a sudden, we have a new nature, don't we? Everybody sitting in this room has a new nature. Paul, writing this, at this time in history, had a new nature. Okay? But the old nature is what he's struggling with. So, so let's, let's continue. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. There's a lot that's happening in, 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 in these passages of Scripture. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. So Paul understood that this sin is the battle and he is battling with sin and he is, he is remorseful that he was on the road to Damascus to do what? Yeah, he was persecuting Christians. He was going to go have them arrested and essentially his arrest put them in jail where they were actually killed. So Paul was a murderer. So, and, and he is... Uh, uh, and, and guess what? You know, he got up in the morning and put his tunic on one, one pant leg at a time, just like we do, right? He wasn't any different. Used differently by God. Perhaps gifted differently than some of us here, clearly. But, but he was just a man. Just a man, and he is struggling with this. Verse 13, Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through that, though, excuse me, in me, uh, through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Oh, man, Paul is 
he's working this, isn't he? He's really working through this. And his point in the rest of, cha- of uh, chapter 7 here is getting down to this, verse 19. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Is he abdicating then? Is he blaming sin for his own actions? What is Paul telling us? He says, for I have, I have the desire to do what is good, but I, I can't carry it out. I, 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 I do what I don't want to do, but it's not really me. It's sin in me. He can't do it on his own. How can he do it? Ah. And yet, does Paul know that? Do you know that? Do you struggle with sin? And do you get conflicted sometimes about why you're so stiff-necked and you do things that you ought not do? Or something's right in front of you and you know you should do it and you don't do it anyway? Yeah, see, everybody's been struggling with that since... Since Adam and Eve took that bite and they decided, you see, it was conscious for them. They decided to be disobedient. Just like us. I would further submit that the vast majority of the sin we commit, we commit with full foreknowledge that we're going to do it. And then we justify it, we work around it, we, we don't talk to anybody about it because we know it's not right to begin with. But then we go ahead and we either do or don't do, whichever the case may be, anyway. That nature is in us. And Paul is struggling with it. Why is it hard to be a Christian? We lose our focus. And I think that may have been what was conflicting with Paul because uh, before he was saved, he had been a very well educated and intelligent person. So initially, he may have had struggles trying to you know, reconcile the two different approaches because entirely different. He was a, a student and a master of the law. Let's. Zoom backwards a little bit in Paul's life and ask a couple of hypothetical questions that I think will be helpful for us. When Paul was a Pharisee, up until the point in time where he was halfway to Damascus, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, do you think that Paul was really conflicted? No, I think he was exactly what he wanted to do. He was having a great day. He was having a great day. Why was he having a great day? He and and what was he taught? Not law. He was taught. He was taught the law, and these people in the way. This was not good. This was not good at all, and so he needed to do something about that because they were a threat, and. And so, it, and he was just being, he was only doing what he was told. He had been given instructions 
to arrest these people. They needed to eradicate this this movement, didn't they? But by the way, how'd that work? And they're still still trying. A couple thousand years later, there's people that are still trying to to eradicate the way. And uh, but you know, when God is in it, you can't stop it. That, that's just the way that works. So verse 21, 721 says this. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Paul says, so when I want to do good, I'm conflicted. Why? Because his central nature is still with him. It starts to get really clear when we understand that when we're struggling or we're convicted by the Holy Spirit that we did, you know, because we didn't do something that we perhaps should have uh, or vice versa. I call it the worst yet sin. <laughs> when we absolutely did something that we ought not have. Okay? Um, the conflict that is at work here, Paul calls it this law. And that is the law of our sinful nature. Because it's with us. And it will stay with us. How long? Okay, that's not forever. Okay. So Paul is clear about the fact that he is struggling through the law, and that is the law of this evil nature, this sin nature that is in him. And yet he knows precisely what he should be doing because he has been convicted of sin because the law showed him that he was a sinner. And then, of course, he had this wonderful encounter. And and we're not even told everything that, that happened during that encounter. But he had, a, he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that was so uh, profound that it turned one of the most zealous persecutors of the way into one of the way. I'm reminded, I was telling uh, Richie and, and Tyler recently um, when I got, a, I got a road bike. You know, the kind with the handlebars that come down like that. Um, and uh, uh, for, all, for years and years and years, you know, you you drive in your car, and, and these morons, forgive me, Lord, these guys would be out there, and they're wearing these colorful jerseys and tight pants, and, and they're taking, they're on a bicycle. Move over. Get on the sidewalk. They take their half right out of the middle, and there's cars coming the other way, and, you know. And, and then you're one of them. Yeah, and I found out I was one. <laughs> you talk about a conflict because then I had to deal with the fact that all of a sudden that for all these years I've been saying and again forgive me I, I had bad thoughts about these guys because they're arrogant they're in the way they wear funny clothes all that stuff and, you know, and so now I try not to be arrogant but I probably am and I'm in the way and I wear funny clothes and, and, and that's what happened to Paul Paul, Paul you know Jesus got in the way and, and, and showed him the way, and then he became what? Just as zealous, in fact, more so. More zealous as a follower of Jesus Christ than he was a Pharisee. 
Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing to me. And yet he's conflicted. And he's saying right here in Romans 7 that, oh, I, I keep doing that and I don't want to. And he probably has uh, the people that was with him when he was a Pharisee in the year. Mm. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they were after him, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, because he was what? Turncoat. No, he was turncoat. That's the word I was looking at. You got Paul's turncoat. And of course, clearly, Scripture tells us what they were trying to do to Paul. How many times was he beaten, flogged, thrown in prison, stoned? And of course, they finally killed him, right? Just like they did almost everybody that God sent. It's just so. And who was that? Who? Who was the Who was the one that wasn't that wasn't martyred? John. Well, Judas. Yeah, he was. But I I read someplace that John was boiled in oil. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. That's a saying. It's, I guess supposedly common knowledge in, in the Catholic Church. Hmm. I don't know. That hmm. But it didn't kill him, apparently. I don't know. I, don't I haven't know. read that in Scripture, so. I haven't either, so I don't know if it's true. I, I find it very interesting, the extra biblical writing that we, that we uh, see. I, I was watching a program, uh, uh, and my, my wife really. Um, uh, gets a good chuckle out of this because I turn on the Discovery Channel or the History Channel and it'll be one of those there'll be one of those Bible shows, you know, and they're and they're um, and you you turn it on and it's just so glaringly bad. I mean they're talking about things that are just that are anti biblical, uh, and, and it's oh it just drives me crazy and I and I you know, I turn it off and then I and then I have this morbid curiosity, so I turn it back on. And, oh, and I just, I'm yelling at the television, and I, it just makes me crazy. And I, I don't know what it is. It just makes me crazy when I, when I have to watch this thing. You don't have to watch it. I know, I don't. You're making a choice. I am making a choice. I don't think you have to. Terrible! It's terrible. Um, but the, the one last week was uh, they were talking about um, uh, uh, the, um, there were two gospels, um, and one was the uh, one was the gospel of Judas, and then they had the gospel of Jesus. I'd never heard this one before. The, so the gospel of Jesus. So I, I didn't know Jesus wrote a gospel, um, but according according to to this program, he had, and it talked about uh, how wealthy Jesus was, um, and all of his possessions, his wives and his children, wives. Well, wives. Yes, plus one was plural, and uh, and I just I, I just find that fascinating. And the guy that was the that was the uh, uh, kind of the curator, if you will, of this lost gospel of, of Jesus. Um, uh, founded in uh, 1996 or something like that. And the problem is, but no, nobody's seen it. Okay, nobody's seen it, so that they can try to authenticate it. Uh, so, but they made a whole program about it, and so, uh, so we know where that stuff comes from, don't we? 
you know, the, the, the enemy just wants to try to confuse people all the time. In verse 24 of chapter 7, uh, Paul finally says this, in terms of this spiritual battle that's going on within him, and he is conflicted by it, even though he knows the truth, just like us. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. He got it and understood that, in fact, he's praising God. Praise God that there's been a provision for this, essentially. And yet, at the same time, he's saying that in his mind that he has this sinful nature. He has this sinful nature. And so he has reconciled on an understanding of the two natures that he's struggling with and having to deal with. And is that the end of the story? No, it's not the end of the story. Because we got to look at Romans 8 because we have to understand why is it so difficult. Because the bad news is, guys... We're sitting here today on the 30th of April in 2014 in Ohio, and we're a bunch of sinners. Every single one of us, right? We are. We have that nature. We inherited it. And it doesn't do any good to try to deny it. It is the truth. There's just no condemnation. Ah, because verse 1 of chapter 8 then starts with the good news. Because and really to understand why it's difficult to be a Christian sometimes, it's difficult because we have this nature that we don't want. And God has revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit in us the conviction of the difference between the nature of sin and the nature of God's law that was completely fulfilled when when Christ was, uh, when Christ came on the scene. So Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And, and so in verse 8, or excuse me, chapter 8, the first four verses says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation. Hallelujah. Okay, Paul, thank you for that. Because even though we have to fight through that, each one of us, and some of us take it to an art form, don't we? <laughs> I mean, really, some of us take it to an art form. Um, and yet Paul says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin. What does that mean? That's one of those very, very hard verses to wrap your head around and understand. Because it's past, present, future. <clears throat> Well, he says, he says that he has been what? Set free and set free, Ernie, from what? The law of sin. Sin and condemnation. So he's been struggling. He's saying, man, this is difficult. I am a wretched man. I think the wrong thoughts. I look at the wrong stuff. I say the wrong stuff. I, I see somebody that needs help and I don't help them 
um, I, all these things are running through my mind. How wretched am I? And yet Christ Jesus understood completely and what and did what? Died for us. And so that there would be no condemnation. So that there would be the opportunity to be set free. See, we're free from that. And that's what he's trying to explain. So the bad news is, is that the nature exists. The good news is, it's for a very short time, Marvin. That's good. Only about 80, 90, well, for some people, 100 years. But I don't know how long I'm going to live, or, or you either. But, but for as long as we live, it's with us. And then when we die and we're with the Lord, it's not. And, and yet we're not condemned. You know? Bill, this is this is um, kind of really foundational. It goes all the way back to what you were talking about—the fruit of the spirit. It, it's really the fruit of the spirit. We talked about how we're absolutely helpless, and and really to, to appreciate Romans eight one, you got to go back to seven twenty four, because because when he says, "Oh, what a wretched man I am," uh, <laughs> the reason that many people struggle as believers is you haven't come to that place. He came to the place of utter helplessness. He threw his hands up. And he said, I, I, I'm done. There's, there's absolutely no way. I'm, I'm done. And, 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 and many of us, um, we still have, may have to still get to that place of saying, Lord, I'm done, rather than trying to justify how good we are. And, and I just got to try a little bit better. I've got good intentions. I, I'm not as bad as all the all the stuff we've talked about in, in, in the fruit of the spirit that you know John 15 of ourselves we can do nothing. It's kind of Romans 7:24 is okay. You got me. I can do nothing. And 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 that makes Romans 8. The power of Romans 8 comes from that wretchedness. When, when you're really helpless, then then you then you're open to saying okay. So there's this law. You cry uncle, you wave the white flag, finally, and you realize, okay, there's this law, and the only thing that could deal with that law was another law. Mm-hmm. That's the unmerited grace, right? That's grace and everything. But what he, Yeah, because in Romans 8, what he's saying is there's this law on the books called sin, but now there's another law that supersedes that. So, so it, it, it's one law superseding another law to, to help understand that. But, but really, that where, where he comes to the end of himself, I think many, many Christians, we struggle with the Christian life because we're still struggling with the Christian life. <laughs> we haven't waved the white flag. We, we really haven't. And, and when, when you can get there, then you understand God's grace, then you understand the Holy Spirit, then you understand Romans 8 comes to life if you kind of can say, you know, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with Paul there. I'm a wretch. <laughs> When, when, when you can finally say, oh, wretched man that I am. Because he really came to the end of himself, is, is Romans 7. And then Romans 8, he goes, that's where Romans, where he says, um, you know, thanks be to God, you know. He, he, that's his woohoo moment, you know. So, in, in 725, that was his woohoo moment. Yeah, and hopefully we all have a woohoo moment. See, that's called sanctification. Because as we go through, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have a woohoo moment all the time uh, because I'm I'm like thick as a brick, and you know I need to be whacked upside the head on a pretty regular basis. And so, uh, and uh, the, the bad news is that I need to be whacked upside the head on a regular basis. The the, the good news is is that it's uh, it, 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 I know that I need to be whacked upside the head. 
Um, and so the, the struggle then is, um, you know, how, how to how to to uh, live for Christ uh, proactively, so that I don't get myself in a position so that I need to be whacked upside the head. I think most that's of the us, struggle. Most of us seem to think we have to do it, that we have to be good, we have to do this, we have to obey the law, and none of us really can. No. And that's. And of course, and he gets there, and, that, and of course, that's what we've been looking at for several weeks now. We've been we've been looking at the power of the Spirit, and, and we we can't do, we can do none of this. But when Paul came to the end of himself in in chapter seven of Romans, and it was just like, oh, I am just pathetic. And he, you know, I mean, I, I can see in my mind's eye, uh, I'm, this probably didn't happen, but in my mind's eye, I see Paul standing in front of the bathroom mirror, and he's looking at himself, and he's just saying. You are just—you're pathetic. You—you're—you you, know—he's looking at that guy, saying you're wretched, uh, and he was. He just came to the end, and then, and then, of course, the great news is—I mean, the gospel is being preached here in in, in chapter eight because he says, "Yeah, Jesus died." And rose again. And he took that on. He took on that wretchedness. How does God view you? Through Christ. That's exactly right. Through the righteousness of Christ. So now, Paul in chapter 8 is going back to the mirror in the bathroom and he's looking at himself and he's saying, yet, and yet, the reflection that he sees in the mirror now is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but that's very comforting to me mm-hmm. when I realize that, that me especially, but really the Bible speaks to all of us, that, you know, I mean, we can sing the song, you know, that saved a wretch like me. Mm-hmm. Because all of us are in that condition. And the beautiful thing is, Um, uh, verse 3 in chapter 8 for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering so he condemned sin in sinful man God condemned the sin I when we go home tonight, maybe even before, when we pray tonight, we ought to be offering up a prayer of thanksgiving that God condemned sin in us. And Jesus took it on so that when we look in the mirror, when we're brushing our teeth tonight, we can see Jesus because that's what God sees when he sees us. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ. That's hard to grasp, isn't it? And yet true. Question, Bill, going back to 725. So when does, what does Paul mean when he says that, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law? What does he mean there? Well, Paul is struggling through, and he's going he's gonna to finish that thought, or he is going to expand upon that thought in chapter 8. And in fact, in 12.12, which is one of our scriptures tonight, you're going to see that he is going to be talking about renewing his mind. So Paul here is talking about, in his own mind, 
He is a slave to God's law. What is God's law? Okay, and so what is Paul saying now? He's, he's come to the end and he wants to be what? A slave to what? Yeah, he didn't say that. On, oh, gosh. And so, uh, you know, I'm a sinful, I'm a wretched man, and I am a slave to sin. He didn't say that. He says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature. There's the contrast. Okay. In his mind, he is a slave to God's law. That's where he wants to be. Okay. But he is going to be in his mind, and we're gonna we're gonna save that thought because as we as we go through chapter eight, he is going to be talking about uh, how he is going to in his mind. He is going to he has to renew his mind. He has it has to start in his mind. We talked about uh, we talked about uh, living in the spirit, and so far as as it is up to us, can we do anything? No. no. But do we need to do something? Yes. yes. And so Paul is talking about starting that process essentially in his mind. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. Okay? That's the righteousness, the holiness of God. That's, that's walking with God. In his mind, that's where he is. And yet, in his sinful nature... That's the conflict. That's where seven ends. In his sinful nature, he is a wretched man. Okay? And, and how is he going to overcome that wretchedness? How is he going to overcome that nature that is a slave to sin? Because he has that sinful nature. Where is it going to start? In his mind. In his mind, he has to make the decision. Because I asked the question earlier, do you remember back before you were a believer? When you were just a heathen, when you were just acting out without any, you didn't care about the consequences. You didn't understand God's law. And you, you're constantly reminded. Pardon me? You're constantly reminded. As a believer you are, but before you're a believer, I don't know about you, but I get a rip about any of that stuff. He was so sure of himself when he was on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. I've got to get rid of these people. They're troublemakers, and that's a problem. And Jesus said, God is love. What? God is what? God is love. I'm not sure exactly what all was said in that encounter. I know a lot was said. So much so that the power of the Holy Spirit came on him and he was a changed man. And he's talking about this conflict that still exists in him because the sin nature didn't go away. But in his mind, he is going to be pursuing the things of God, which is what he's talking about here in chapter 8. He's going to be pursuing those things of God because he has to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, in his own, he can't do it. He already gave up. He's done. It's over. He can't do it on his own. And yet it still exists. 
and yet it still exists. So why is it so hard? Do you think he had a harder time simply because he had been a Pharisee and knew the law so well? That's a hypothetical question, and my answer to that is absolutely. And I would submit that the reason that he had such a hard time with that because he was, uh, I mean, he was a student. He was brilliant. He was, um, uh, he studied under the best. Uh, and, and he was, um, and he was a rising star, Paul was. Well, in my mind, that's why God picked him. <laughs> he had all the right attributes going in all the wrong directions. And uh, when God revealed himself to, to Paul and, and he went, oh, uh, did it change Paul's attributes? No, it just changed his direction. God used all of that for his glory and for his purposes. And so, and, and again, I would submit to answer that question that everybody in this room has the same issue. And that is that you grew up a particular way. Okay? I don't, I don't know exactly what it was because we've never had that discussion. But you were a little kid and you were in the house and you had these interactions and there was this family environment and it was, I'm sure, dysfunctional in some way or another because I've never met anybody that was in a completely functional house because we're not going to have those until we get to heaven. And so, yeah, and so you're, you're influenced by those things in your early childhood and you learned... Uh, uh, from all of those things and I submit to you that everybody in this room has carried a lot of that stuff with you to where you sit right now this day you know there's the other similarity also with Paul and and everyone in this room is as much as I can guess looking around Paul was very successful he applied himself he studied he progressed became the Pharisee of Pharisees right Looking around this room, I'm guessing most would consider yourself intelligent, able to figure things out, gain the measure of success, however you want to define that. So Paul's struggle was letting go of himself. See, his previous, his previous religious experiences was self-reliance. And, and he got a lot of affirmation because of what he did. It was all about him and his efforts. That is very similar to the culture we live in. Mm-hmm. Affluence, comfort, success. And that's why we struggle. And much like Paul said, eventually struggle in seven is, uh, yeah, I can't do anything. Many of us, if, if we understand where Paul's coming from, he would have fit right into this group. Very successful, smart, articulate, able to get it. Measure success and however you want to define that. And he's struggling with the realization that it's flipped 180 degrees and he's got to let go of everything he thought mm-hmm. and everything he relied upon which was all self and, and, and in many ways that's, that's our, our challenge in the culture we live in is success self-reliance self-dependence intelligence all of that kind of good all that stuff that, that not necessarily that in of itself until we bring that into trying to live for the Lord and you realize eh it's not working out. Yeah. And, and I think it made it particularly difficult for Paul by virtue of the fact that uh, it was very clear. God made it very clear. And he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Okay? And, and it, was, it was very physical. Blind. I mean, all these things that happened to him. And, and God spoke to him in a, you know, in a very profound way uh, right there in the light. Uh, and so, I mean, I mean, 
that's pretty scary, really, when you think about it. Um, but uh, he was just minding his own business, doing his own thing. And yet, after he, after he uh, uh, repented and, and turned 180 degrees the other direction, and he was as sold out for God as he was for the law. For the law. <laughs> okay. Uh, perhaps more so. He still took with him all the training, all his upbringing, all his education, uh, all, everything that was about his life before that didn't go away. And I was sharing with Tito, uh, some of you know that, that Tito, um, uh, one of my dad's caregivers, I, I, I share um, Wednesday nights with him. Um, and so we were talking today and that same question came up. And my response to that was, with my dad sitting in the room, my dad learned a few things about me today that I, he never knew before, um, <laughs> and we were talking about alcohol. And he says, so, so if you think you bring those things with you, who you are today, um, he asked me for an example. And I said, well, okay, well, I started drinking when I was 14 years old um, because there was alcohol in my house, okay? My grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad, there was just alcohol. My dad entertained a lot you know, for business. There was, he had alcohol, you know, not a bar, but a cabinet. It was there. And, uh, and it wasn't hidden from us. It was normal. Uh, you know, my dad was a smoker and a drinker. What do you, so what do you know when you're a kid? That's all normal to me. But the one thing that was abnormal is that when you're 13 or 14 and you start drinking, I had to hide it. I had to sneak it, okay? Because I knew that my dad wouldn't approve of it. And, but so what I learned was, what I learned about smoking and alcohol is, is that you're a big boy if you do that. And so I carried that with me uh, into my 30s. And, and I, what I learned about drinking was that you didn't drink because it tasted good, because none of it ever tasted good. You drank to get drunk. That's what drinking was, because that's what was demonstrated to me. So I'm sitting in front of my dad at Tito today telling my dad about being drunk when I'm 14 um, pretty much every weekend. And my, my dad's eyes are like this big. And he doesn't... He doesn't uh, and, and you know what? He probably even knew. But see, he was drinking so much at that time. Uh, you know, there was no discussion about it. That's, so I just grew up that way. And it influences me today. Which is why I don't buy alcohol and have it in my house. Because in, in my world, uh, if I went and bought a a six-pack of Coronas at, at the market and took them home, um, that they're not to be put in the refrigerator, they're to be drunk. <laughs> and I don't know how not to do that, so I just choose not to do that because I, 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 that's what was demonstrated. I carry that with me. So what Paul says here in verse 5 of chapter 8, those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. Duh. And... But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So, the answer to your earlier question, Diana, is what's he talking about in terms of, so then in my, in, it, it, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. So, where is your mind going? With the sinful nature? I hope not. Or with what other nature? Spirit. Spirit. The nature of the spirit. 
So in his mind, he has to decide what it is that he is going to do. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. It's interesting that in this passage, what he's talking about after giving up is that in his mind, he there are these choices. I'm telling you, we all have to make those choices every day. So here we are. We're Christians. We're sinners. We, we just have to recognize that. And yet there's an antidote for that. Not that the sin goes away. That nature is always going to be there. So what are you going to set your mind on? the things of God. Because to the extent that you don't, if you're not in step with the Spirit, if you're not going to be if you're not going to be living for Christ, if you are if you're not going to be in, in you know me, I'm in a list. So <laughs> when we're done with this I, I have a I have a, a, a little not a, a to do but a checklist. Um, it's biblical. And so uh, because there are some things that we can do. We can set our minds on doing some things. And it's not it's really a mysterious list. Everybody in this room knows what it is. Um, uh, but, but we need to identify these things because if we don't, I again would submit to you that try for a day not to think about the things of God. And then when you're successful with that day, try the next day. And I would submit to you by about the 13th day, the habit of not thinking about the things of God will be so ingrained in us that we will be walking a million miles from them. Because our old nature will take over. Because the United States government says, in the, in the Army Handbook, that it takes 13 occurrences to start a new habit. Only 13. So that's two weeks, guys. Walk away from the Lord for two weeks. Walk away from spiritual disciplines in your life for two weeks. A disaster will develop. That's our nature. The old nature will come back in so rapidly, it, it will be... It, and you wonder why people walk away. It, it only takes a couple of weeks. It's so easy. Now you said, to one of the questions, Susan, number two, uh, earlier, that um, um, it's, it's so difficult to be a Christian because it's so easy not to be. Really? Is that true, by the way? Not always, because the Holy Spirit keeps reminding you. Oh, but if you're not a Christian, do you have the Holy Spirit? Huh? If you're not a Christian, do you have the Holy oh, Spirit? No, no. So is it... I know the question is, is why is it hard to be a Christian? So that assumes that we have the Holy Spirit, because every Christian does, right? Yeah. Okay, so if we have the Holy Spirit in us, in and of itself, that's what makes it difficult. In and of itself, having the Holy Spirit, being completely dependent on God and understanding that we can do nothing in our own strength. Nothing. Not only can we do nothing, but God says if we don't love, we are nothing. That's two nothings. And so, you know, we're, we're pretty convicted then, aren't we? Because we know the difference. There's Paul. Paul's telling us this. Oh my gosh, I know the difference. This is horrible. I'm wretched because I know the difference. And Paul, 
I have to believe, I don't know about you, but I have to believe that Paul, because um, we tend to categorize sins, God doesn't, but we do. Because in our sin nature, we think, well, I didn't kill anybody. You know, I got totally wasted last night because that, you know, all that beer I told you I would never buy, I went and I bought it anyway, and so I drank it all, and I got totally drunk, and, and, uh, um, uh, and so, but that's not nearly as bad as, uh, as you know, as what Steve did, you know, <laughs> right? No, I mean, it was just, it was just one. So we put it in these categories, you know, it's a scale of one to ten, and all that was a one, and, you know, Steve was a nine. So I'm not so bad, right? So sure. Yeah, <laughs> you were you were a full ten, right? And the point is, is that you see, in God's economy, it doesn't matter. One is the same as, as any of the rest. That's what the Bible says. And so, uh, to that extent, we have to set our mind on the things of God to overcome the things that are are, are of our sinful nature. And so, which nature do we live by? That's the question. You know, when you passed that candy around, I ate the piece of candy, and there was something written in paper. <laughs> what does it say? And it says, love rules without rules. Oh. And I thought that was pretty good. Oh. <laughs> Everyone's going to check their wrappers. I know. Everybody check their wrappers now. So Paul's been struggling through all this stuff, and listen to what he says here when we, we finally get down here to, to verse 9. You, who's you? Me. <laughs> Thank you. Me, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Okay, guys, we're getting to the really good news part. Okay? Because we're going to find out frankly, that it's not that hard. Okay? It's not that hard. And here's why. He says because he says because you, who's he talking to? Okay, and every Christian, every believer, every person that's put their faith in Jesus Christ, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. You are not controlled by the sinful nature. Scripture says it is impossible for you to be controlled by the sinful nature if the, if the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Spirit of God is referenced in this particular case. It is impossible to be controlled. You cannot serve two masters. But you have to do something. See, it's not, it's not just a free ride. You know, they, they don't give you the IV and, you, you know, you, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He says, you, however, are not controlled, but you need to do something. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Christ's righteousness. That's a beautiful thing. Christ's Righteousness. Uh, we are on verse, verse 11, 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you... Time out. Excuse me? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead... We've been talking about this for weeks. And that's, a, that's like a game stopper for me every time I, I, I think about that. That God, pre-existent, 
no beginning, no end, omnipresent, omniscient, the creator of all things, lives where? Is in us. Okay. Why doesn't sin have control over us? Because the God of the universe, His Spirit indwells us. And the power of that compared to the power of our sinful nature is on the 1 to 10 scale. It's just recognizing that that power is greater because we're so used to it thinking that sin's greater. Can oh, you Susan? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. I said it's because we're so used to thinking that sin has so much power over us that we don't think in terms of the Holy Spirit having the more power. We just we don't function that way. Why not? Because we're being deceived by Satan. Because we don't we don't tap into that. We don't ask. For the help, we just keep going on our own, like we're just. Do we believe it? We haven't said uncle yet. Do we believe it? (laughs) Do we believe it? Okay, then we have to set our minds Mm -hmm. on it. That's what Scripture says. We see part of it is up to us. We've been given this free will. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and we have a sinful nature. Can you have this? Can you have? Can you be filled with the Spirit? How much of the Spirit do we have? Yeah, he's got it all. We've got it all. given all to us. Okay? And all we have to do is appropriate it. He's right there. Okay? And where do we start with that appropriation? In In our minds. Renewing our minds. Right there. God's Word tells us that we have to think about the things of God. Because if we think about the things of our sinful nature, or if we decide that we want to have a pity party, or if we want to, if, you know, if, we, if I want to get angry with you, Marvin, for something that you did, or, <laughs> or you angry with me, Marvin, you know, it starts here, doesn't it? It starts here. And so it's, it's, it's really critically important that we understand the spiritual battle that's going on um, it, it starts here. And if we, if we believe it, then we ought to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And we ought to be walking with the Spirit. And we ought to be living in the Spirit. That's what we've been talking about. Because if we're not going to do that, there's only one other option according to Scripture. And that is our minds will be where? On the sin nature. On our sin nature. And to the extent our mind is on our sin nature, I can guarantee you where you're going to go if that's where your mind is. Because the spiritual battle that's going on is at work all the time. And if you are in the Spirit, and if you are walking in the Spirit, and if you are living in the Spirit, and if your mind is set on the things of God, you can overcome through the power of that Spirit, not on your own. You don't have one iota of a chance on your own. And yet the Scriptures tell us that the power of the Holy Spirit in us will defeat 
the power of our sin nature hands down every time insofar as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Did anybody here um, get telemarketing calls? Okay, so when you, when you got them, who here struggled initially with hanging up on them or saying knowing? Who here, let them, who here struggled initially letting them go through the spiel, you try to interrupt, they always have an, anyone? Right? Okay, who here worked through that and got to the point where you just, just put it down? Okay, so, 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 what changed? Making a choice. A choice to do what? Not to feel bad hanging up. Okay, not to feel bad, what else? A choice what? Tries to change your reaction. Change your reaction. What else? Okay. At a certain point, you had to accept that you had the power to control the conversation. Ultimately, by hanging up. See, the ultimate power is in whose hands? Yours. But they don't. They. 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 What they do is they want to control the conversation. So it's a power struggle. But once you clicked in, like, wait, this is my phone. Yeah, you this is my time. Yeah, that's right. You interrupted me. You, I can hang up. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an empowering issue, right? Mm-hmm. So once you realize that with one, you could do it to all of them, right? Yeah. But is that Christian? This is... <laughs> you can politely hang up. You can say, I'm not interested in hang up. Yeah, you don't have to listen to them. It's your time. You don't have to be rude. But, but here's, the, here's, here's, here's the issue is that at a certain point, many people who, who end up buying things or, you know, it's, an, it's, a, it's a power issue. They feel disempowered. I had to listen to them. I had to, right? That's, if you, at a certain point, when you got the power and you said, wait, this is my time, this is my phone, I can nicely or not so nicely hang up on you, it was a power issue, right? You realize that you had a power. This, that's, this is what Romans 8 is saying. You had the power to hang up on sin. You had the power. No. I'm done. But it's here, but you have to believe it. I can say, Susan, why did you buy 10,000 pairs of dishes? You didn't need to, you know? But, but he wouldn't let me off the phone. Susan, you could have hung up. Yeah, but I didn't, right? It, it's I here. I didn't think about that. I didn't, it's here, then you've got to believe that you can hang up, and it's okay. It's the same thing with the devil and the sin. They're trying to keep you on the line, and you have to say no in the power of the Holy Spirit. Click. It's an empowering thing, and... And, you know, that, that's Bill and Tyler and I, our, our heart in teaching you scripture, quite frankly, is to empower you to walk in the Holy Spirit. We, we don't want you depending on us. It's, it's not I about... I don't get to that point anymore. When the phone rings, the flash on my phone, who it is, and the phone number, if I don't recognize the phone number... I just want sure. to go to the and machine. Sure. Nine out of ten, there's no message. Yeah. Right. But see, your your willingness to not even answer it was an exercise of what? Power. It was your choice. I don't have to answer that. So you, sin comes calling, you can look at, I don't even have to answer it anymore. I don't even have to discuss it. I don't have to go there. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just letting it, that thing ring. Right? That's what... That's what you know. Romans eight is saying, "Hey, 
Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Go here and then believe it, and when sin comes knocking, the sin nature comes knocking, you don't even have to answer. Yeah. And at any point, you can hang up. You can just say, yeah, I gave him my other life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's really an empowering thing, but yeah, Bill, like, like it's got to go here, yeah. and then you got to believe that you have the power to hang up or to not even answer. It's it's an empowering thing that you have to exercise. Okay, and it gets easier. Exactly. Right, Sally? <laughs> Sally, how do you have, how do you handle them? What do you do? I don't bother to answer the phone. Right? Despite the fact that I don't want to answer the phone, it's there for my convenience, not there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then she sends them a car. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to finish this up in, 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 uh, uh, with, with the real good news, uh, look what Paul says next to us in verse 12, 8, 12. Therefore, which always means because of all that stuff I just told you, okay, <laughs> brothers, we have, there's an exhortation coming here. What's an exhortation? That's right. He's going to tell us what it is that we should be doing now, okay? So, so this is almost like an exhortation. It's like a command. So do this, he says. Therefore, brothers... We have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That is heavy duty, powerful stuff that that the Holy Spirit uh, imparted to Paul to write to us as we sit here tonight because um, we need to know that we need to respond. Okay? There is a response that is required. And as Pastor Richie said, it starts here. In our mind, we have to set our minds on the things above, as Scripture says. We have to set our minds on the things of God. We have to, we have to determine that we are not going to live by the sinful nature. I'm very confident that when I leave here tonight, I'm not going to the store to buy a six-pack. I'm very, very confident of that because I've made up my mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> go, go ahead. Let's drop it someplace else. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring an apple to this. <laughs> and the and the and the point is, yeah, no, because I have no desire. Because I know what the outcome is going to be, and since I already know what the outcome is going to be, I choose to set my things on. Uh, not that I don't sin, clearly, but in that area where I am weakest, that is my weakness, 
and I know it, I set my mind on things of God, and I know that drunkenness is a sin, and I don't know how to drink without getting drunk, so I don't. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a no-brainer. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And so Paul says here that, oh, we have this obligation, so we can't miss this, because we still have the sinful nature, even though... Even though that nature was crucified with Christ, it doesn't mean that it went away. It doesn't go away. It doesn't. But we have received the spirit of sonship. Why? Why does, it, why does Scripture call us children of God? Because we are. We don't have to make it more complicated than that. We are children of God. Ah, I don't know about you, but that's really good news to me. Because we come to Christ with this childlike fascination, and the more we know, the more we realize we don't know, and that keeps that childlike intrigue intact. And we set our minds on the things of God, and, and we are totally conflicted. And it's hard to be a Christian if your mind isn't set on the things of God. And guess what? It's our choice. And so in the morning as we were studying the... The, the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and we get up in the morning, we are privileged to be called co-heirs with Christ. Are you kidding me? I can't even wrap my mind around that one. Co-heirs with Christ because God loves us. We are His children. And all He wants us to do is be obedient by making the choice because that's what love is. Love is taking action. And so our action for the day, because we can only do this one day at a time, guys. <laughs> our action for the day is to say, okay, Lord, I just want to, I want to walk with you today. Okay? Um, in fact, I'm going to start with just the first part of the day, Lord. In fact, Lord, this hour, I, I want to walk with you this hour, Lord. Okay? And I, I want to have my mind set on the things that are of you, Lord. Okay, and I'm in the world, Lord, and I have a sinful nature, Lord, and yet, uh, and yet you, you have filled me with your Spirit, and that's where the power comes from. Okay, so I want to appropriate that uh, until bedtime. Okay, that's what I want to do because my life is about pleasing you, Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That makes it so much easier, doesn't it? Is it difficult to be a Christian sometimes? Mm-hmm. A lot of the time. Amen, Brenda. A lot of the time. Because we're conflicted every single day. And we're reminded every single day, aren't we? Because it's written. And we believe. And it's true. And we've had even experiences, haven't we? <laughs> we've had experiences with God where we've learned and we've been pruned and we've been sanctified and we continue to grow. And we're here. 
<laughs> we're here. And we're putting our minds on the things of God. 